Welcome to the BG Cast, a podcast seeking to bring the battleground community and schools together. My name is David, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Each episode, Denny Waters, the Battleground Public Schools District Superintendent, will be joining me as we talk about the many things that make this such a great school district. Our goal is to bring the voice of the schools to the community and the voice of the community to the schools. We'll hear stories from students and staff and shine a spotlight on the various aspects of the district and community. We have a special treat for you in this episode. At the March Citizens Advisory Committee meeting, we were blessed to have a student panel of students from the different secondary schools in the district who made up a forum to answer questions that the committee had submitted. It's a little bit longer and the audio isn't perfect, but I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. When I became superintendent, we started a parent advisory. So what we did was we invited um, parents who live all throughout the district. And our original um, intention was to find at least two parents that represented each school. Okay, so you have some friendly faces here, whatever school you're from. It's probably somebody in this room, in this audience, who has a connection to your school. Okay. And during the course of the year, like last year we worked a lot on strategic plan and we talked about how school budgets work and did all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, this year we spent a lot of time on like talking about whether or not we should run a bond for our school district and, and talking about student discipline. But one of the things that our parent advisory group has always been interested in hearing, it's a big thing for us, is student voice and the perspective of our students and what school is really like from, from your eyes. And I want you to know that we want you to tell your story, your experiences. And it's okay if things come up and they are maybe a little bit to the negative side. Um, we don't want you, we want to hear your honest um, opinions of everything. Um, and I promise that uh, we'll, we'll be listening closely and taking it in and we'll be using it. And that's the most important thing. That's the reason that we all are here is because we want to know, because our overall goal is to make Battleground School District the best school district in the state of Washington. And so we need your help in order to do that. So I just want to say again, thank you very, very, very much for being here. I know it's kind of scary. Um, you know, it's not the easiest thing to talk um, in front of people, but we really, really appreciate it, okay? Um, thank you, parents. Thank you, uh, community members. Um, we. Um, took the questions that you submitted. Um, we had a lot of them, so thanks for that. We tried to reduce the redundancy, and we also tried to um, group them into different categories. So you may not see your exact question, but you will see a form of your question. Okay? We're going to go through those um, I think the way that we're going to do it, David and I haven't really talked about this, is we're just going to put the question in front of our panel and then we'll just let people volunteer to answer it. Um, once we get you know, representative um, answers, then we'll just move on to the next question. Okay. I had in front of us, I had this idea that we would do word on the street um, first. Whatever I do, whether I put word on the street at the end or I put word on the street at the beginning, it never seems to just 
fall right into place. And, and so I don't want to... I, I really have some critical questions because you know that I have been wrestling with this whole weather thing. <laughs> and I'm hearing it from, from multiple sources. So I really do want to pick your brain on the weather thing. But I also want to be cognizant of our time. And some of these students, um, many of them are um, doing multiple things. That's why we're missing some people. Because we've got open houses going, not only here at Battleground, but also at Prairie. Is there an open house at Prairie? No. No, no. that's okay. not until the 21st. Not until the 21st, okay. So, my fault. So Prairie's not doing anything. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> not that way. <laughs> But um, we've got multiple things going on, so we've got students m moving about. So we will have some other students join us. Um, so we're getting started a little late. So once again, back in the back pocket, uh, word on the street. We'll talk about whether um, maybe if we have time at the end. We won't. You know that. <laughs> so we will um, just continue to move on. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Yeah, so uh, we, one of the reasons for the microphones, there's two reasons. One, so you are heard and we want to hear your voices, so you don't have to shout. If you're not used to talking in front of people, it might be harder to hear you. The other reason is we have a podcast many of you know about, and we're going to share some of this on the podcast. So your, your opinions, your point of view are going to be heard by more than the people in just this room. And, and like Denny said, we really appreciate your honesty, and you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings in this room. We're all on the same team making everything better. So, but I, I figured we could kind of bounce through the sections and make sure we cover each section first and then come back through and hit the, the sections that have multiple questions. Okay. And, then, uh, and then I've got, I've got a, a, I'm gonna call on each of you for a question. And you, so you will have to speak at least once <laughs> over the course of the evening. But uh, maybe, we can, maybe we can start off really quickly if you can grab the mic and uh, introduce yourselves or just run down the table and make sure because not everyone will be able to read your name tag from the back. So just tell us your name, your grade, uh, where, you, where you attend school. Hello, I am Alexis Maupin. I am in eighth grade and I attend River Home Link. Cassidy Maupin, eighth grade at River Home Link. My name is... Go ahead. My name is Jack Oyen. Uh, I'm a student at CAM. I'm a senior this year. Um, my name is Elsa Bice. I'm a sophomore at CAM Academy. My name is Ricardo Martin Del Campo. I am a senior at, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> at Prairie High School. There we go. I'm Isabel Morrell, and I'm a junior at Prairie High School. My name, my name is, I don't know if it's loud enough. Um, Just quiet. My name is Sarah Shute, and I'm actually a junior at BJHS, but tonight I guess I'm playing the role of a senior. <laughs> For those who can't see. Um. Well, you know, I am the superintendent, so you are a senior. <laughs> You'll be graduating in a couple of months. <laughs> oh, great. Here they come. So we'll get Austin and Sora to introduce themselves as soon as they run in and get, get seated. And um, a, a little tidbit of information. Uh, Ricardo is the senior representative to the board, the school board, and Sora is the junior representative to the school boards. Ricardo has, will be finishing his second uh, year and leaving us, headed off to uh, Greener Pastures, and then Sora uh, will be uh, remaining on the board as a senior representative next year. 
Sorry, and you guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Oh, let me catch my breath a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just performing for the jazz band because it's the eighth grade open, open house night, so that was really fun. Um, we did plan a little bit wrong, um, so the times did not match up completely well, so, so sorry about that. But I am the um, student representative for the school board. I'm NHS president at Battleground High School. I'm ASB secretary, um, and I'm involved with the jazz band, obviously. So we're very happy to be here. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, I was <laughs> gave a little bit too much more info, um, but okay. <laughs> My name's Sora Tali. I go to Battleground High School, and I'm a junior. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I am Austin Cloak. I am the ASB president here at Battleground High School, and I am a senior. Well, thank you, panel, for being here this evening. We really appreciate your time. We're going to get started off. Ricardo, we're going to have you go first since you've done this before. So, uh, real serious question Is cereal soup why or why not? Um, I actually did have this debate did um, you? earlier this year, actually. Okay. Um, cereal is not a soup. It's not a soup. It's because in order to be a soup, you have to like boil all the vegetables and like make sure it's like a broth. I don't but, know how to describe I, I don't know. It. I think like the, the, the cocoa pebbles, then the milk absorbs all of the chocolate, then that's kind of a broth, right? Can we compromise that a stew? A stew? A stew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually have a very strong opinion on this. I think that cereal should be considered a stew because it's more focused on the like solid element of it rather than the liquid element as a soup would be. Okay. I can buy that. I can believe. I can go with that one. All right. First serious question, and uh, we'll let you let you decide who wants to go first. Is we're talking about preparation for graduation and beyond. That's your first question on your on your sheets. We're going to start there at the top. Do you think that your school is preparing you well for the real world after high school? Is your school doing a good job getting you ready to go out into the real world once you're on your own? Yes, no, and why or why not? I guess I'll start us off. Um, so I believe that at Prairie, at least from what I have experienced, I feel like I'm pretty prepared to go out in the real world. Um, I know personally, I'm not like the biggest math guy. Um, so I took uh, modeling with math. Um, and in that class, we learned how to use math in like real world scenarios. I actually learned how to file my taxes. And I did that for the first time this year. And I was devastated to get a $15 tax return. <laughs> but yes, I, I feel at least somewhat prepared. I took food, so I know how to make myself food. Um, and I know how to file my taxes, and I know that there's a lot more things I need to learn, but I think that's what life is like. You just have to keep learning. Good. Yeah, um, I agree, especially at Battleground and Prairie, with our abundance of CTE classes. We have so many opportunities to gain real-world world skills, like Ricardo said, foods want, or foods in general. I think they're called like intro to baking and intro to foods. I'm not sure what they're called now, but um, there's also like an independent living class where you just learn basic skills like laundry, stuff like that, that just you know, gets you going in the real world even more than Algebra 1. So classes like that really provide extra insight on how to survive, I guess. Um, 
I think CAM kind of pre uh, prepares students in a different way. Like what I've noticed is we have a lot of like team building skills that we grow because we're such a small school. So it's really tight knit community. So you go close with your classmates and um, at the same time, you also like develop a sense of independence and just the ability to like work out things on your own. So there might not be direct like extracurriculars like food classes, which that sounds awesome, I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, but we, we get this opportunity to like figure out things for ourselves and um, that really provides, or sorry, not provides, um, prepares us well for, for college and for whatever, for whatever else. And on top of that, I would like to add, even though we don't have as many um, cool classes like foods, your living class, um, our classes that we do have are very rigorous and I feel prepare us academically well for um, future schooling or just the marketplace wherever students may end up. Okay, a big, a big focus of the district is also on emotional health, emotional preparation. How do you think the district is doing to prepare you emotionally as you exit your current situation and start moving into adulthood? I personally feel very unprepared emotionally just because of, well, sort of the nature of my schooling because I am in a lot of advanced classes and I think I haven't been given the opportunities to sort of understand how to handle those classes and the amount of coursework they have. And I know this is going to be like a necessary skill for me to have in the future. And a lot of this ties back to sort of the school system when I was younger, like in primary and middle school, because I didn't have the opportunities to take advanced classes, I got used to easy classes. So moving into high school where this was an opportunity, I didn't have that sort of buildup and a general understanding of like the organization, the time, the effort needed to be able to maintain like good grades or actually understanding and learning from what I had now, like the opportunities. Okay. I agree with um, most of the things that she said because uh, in middle school I was a part of the Aspire program and um, I ended up taking like algebra one as a seventh grader and geometry as an eighth grader and I feel like there's kind of an underlying pressure beginning in middle school for a lot of students because even if you were in that program you were still seeing these kids like doing all these rigorous classes and such and I just feel like there's a pressure on students because like taking honors algebra two as a freshman, I was not mentally prepared for that. And since then, I feel like it's established kind of a perfectionist rhythm in my high school experience. Like I have done since then everything I possibly can, like ASB, jazz band, sports, as many AP classes as I can get, just because an established sense of like, I need to be successful was there in middle school. and. That might just be me, but I've also noticed this pattern in a lot of the students that were in Aspire, especially those that were taking advanced math in middle school. Um, so I feel like there's just a lot of pressure that hasn't really emotionally prepared me for like failure and things like that. If that makes sense. So you want us to help you fail? <laughs> sort of. Okay. I have to raise my hand. I think also being in like this sort of programs like the Aspire program and AP classes moving forward lessens the opportunities for real world experience. For example, I'm in pre-calc and next year I'm either expected to take AP calc or AP stats, which are not only like 
heavy course load options, but it also prevents me from taking classes like modeling with math, like Ricardo mentioned. So I won't have the opportunity to learn how to like file taxes and that sort of thing. And if I were to switch to a class like that, I think just mentally, I would not be able to handle it, if that makes any sense, because it would be completely deferring from what I spent like the past few years building up to. I think what we have improved upon, though, as a district is our emotional learning systems, with, especially with the establishment of SEL rooms in you know, all of our schools. And I've been in this district since I was in first grade, so basically my whole you know, schooling career. And recently, Ricardo and I have been visiting the middle schools and seeing, or, and the elementary schools, I guess, too, with school board tours. But seeing the SEL rooms and seeing the you know, social-emotional learning just systems that have been implemented since I have even been in those schools is actually astounding. And being in those environments has been, like, very, it warms my heart to see. So, obviously, although those, there are those, like, faults that come with every schooling system, we have made those advancements, which I think is pretty cool. So about down here on the, uh, on the quiet end, the cam end, how do, you, how do you feel emotionally? Are you feeling like you're getting prepared? Um, I haven't really taken very many high school classes as an eighth grader, so I don't know how those are really preparing you. I feel that our school wants us to be prepared with success, and they want us to feel an excitement for learning, so we'll continue to learn throughout being um, in high school and going into further education or like into the job environment, so you just want to continue to learn and you're open to that and you aren't like stuck in a certain way. I definitely think RHL doesn't have, especially if you continue from middle school into high school, it's definitely a lot more connected if it does have um, going ahead in like Aspire programs. But it does, I agree with the panel of not having that overwhelming pressure, especially if you're going ahead of your grade, having the pressure to not fail and just having to strive. But I do think it prepares, having the RHL environment of going in only certain days and having that flexible schedule, it does prepare for not always going in and it prepares for both an environment in like a working place, right. but as well as an environment at home. Because you don't get to set your schedule once you start working, right? <laughs> or at least a, a lot of times you don't. All right, so I've got another, I've got another really serious question. I'm gonna come down here to Sarah. And I'm going to I'm going to ask, what is invisible, but you wish people could see? What's something that's invisible, but you wish people could see it? Is this a trick question or like no. a serious? <laughs> this, no, this is this is everything hinges on your ability to answer this question. So, so if you don't get it right, we're just going to shut everything down right now, and everyone's going home. So. Like invisible in the school, or like invisible in the world. It could be an invisible element. It could be a Sarah. Sarah. During the podcast, we always have these kind of silly questions that okay. kind of take down the mood a little bit. And so here it is. It's the soup question. That's not a serious Just a question. Way. Okay, I was very confused there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fault. I'd say probably like the quiet kids just because like 
If you're in a specific group like ROTC or the band kids or like if you have a loud friend group, people genuinely know who you generally know who you are, but it kind of like just the quiet kids I feel like don't get enough recognition. If you're not in like a loud group, I know this. I'm like tying it back to the school. That's all right. Um, but I just feel like those quiet kids that you see like sitting alone at recess, and then you're like, "Wow, that's really awkward. I don't want to go talk to them." Yeah, I wish people who didn't have like large groups of friends or were super popular were able to be seen. Mm, good. Yeah, that is a good answer. Better than I would have given. I was th I was thinking like I don't know oxygen so that you know you're breathing it or I don't know. But uh, really good answer. Now before we move on, you have there's you were talking about uh, something before and you were going to shove it off onto Sora to make an announcement about something that's coming up. So like 30 seconds, can you tell us about what's happening? Yeah, of course. I can take more than 30 seconds, but um, on March 25th from seven. 6.30 to 9 p.m., there will be an event here called Best of BG, which is our 18th annual charity pageant. This year, our beneficiary is a boy named Luke. He's 15 years old, and he has hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I think I pronounced that right. But he was recently airlifted to Seattle Children's Hospital due to something that was going really wrong with his lungs, heart, something. But it's very bad, and we are trying our best to help him out there. And um, our pageant is a competition between eight seniors who just show off their talents, show off their fun costumes, and just try to create light um, out of a you know dark situation. And hopefully, he can watch it, see it. His family and friends will be there. So, yeah, please, please come. Yeah. All right. Um, entry into the pageant is fifteen dollars, cash only. Tickets are only sold at the door. Um, and the reason we charge for entry of the show is to try to raise money to send to Luke. Um, doors open at six, okay. you know, so you can come in, find that really good seat. So is that cash only because you don't know how to do your taxes and you want to keep it under the table? <laughs> it's a mix between that and the card readers being like in the cafeteria. Oh, okay. So you'd like, yeah. All right, let's move on to our next question. You want to ask? Tyson's your best friend. Okay, so the next one is on um, student experience and voice. So here's one for you. Do you feel that there is enough interaction between students and administrators at your school? And if so, what's working well? And if not, how can we improve it? So administrators are the leaders of your buildings. Um, are they listening to students? Is the interaction there good? Talk to us about that. Um, I feel like at least at Battleground High School there like there is a gap but I feel like admin is actively working on trying to improve that like probably three or four weeks ago there was a survey that was sent out from our admin team just kind of asking our opinions on like stuff around the school that we think could be improved um, they implemented a new late policy where like the teachers lock their doors and it's only open during passing time, so you have to go like get a pass. And they were like, hey, like, what are your guys' thoughts on this? What with this new system is working? What do you guys think isn't working? And I feel like they're genuinely asking for our feedback and is gonna follow through. Um, I also see at least two or three members of our admin at like all sporting events, like at drama stuff, band stuff. So I feel like they're trying to be involved. And occasionally, you know, like during halftime or before a game starts, 
I'll see like Gord or Sample walk over to the student section, you know, just talking to the kids. So I feel like they are trying to interact. Every single day during lunch, they're out there in the cafeteria, in the hallway during passing time. And I see like a few students talking to them often. So I feel like they, there is a connection and they're doing their best to try to be like, oh, hey, like, I know you have like a host event going on this weekend. I hope that goes well. How'd your host event go over the weekend? So I feel like there is a bridge being built between the students and admin. Um, for CAM, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's different. We're a smaller school, so everyone's more well-connected. Um, but I think CAM does a really good job. Mr. Cole, our principal, he's always walking around. You can always find him. He'll be like directing traffic in the pickup line, so parents can always talk to him and students can come and find him. Um, and that's really useful and really awesome. He's He's been super helpful in um, providing anything we need. Um, I'm president of NHS at CAM and we he's been um, like handling our, our national dues because we don't have the funds secured like because of COVID like we kind of got crushed by that um, our I think we had one member of NHS for for a semester so that was pretty rough um, we got it back now which is which is awesome it's super exciting um, so it's been super great for him to be able to like be there and support um, the different school clubs that we have and activities that we have and I mean I've been at camp since third grade and like I still know my third grade teachers and like we talk it's like a super tight-knit community there and the admin is like super super helpful good yeah. I definitely agree with Sarah I've noticed the admin at Prairie doing the similar thing talk standing outside I'm sorry standing in the cafeteria during lunch speaking to students and I think that's great but one of the biggest issues is just time because there's only four or five admin members compared to 1,500 students and when admin also have meetings they have to deal with problems within the school there's just not enough time for students to reach out and share their voice and I also think that there's sort of an indifference because of students who have better opportunities to speak to admin. For example, I'm our school's ASB treasurer, so I know some of the ladies in our ASB office and main office pretty well, as opposed to a student who isn't a member of any sports or clubs. They wouldn't have that initial connection that allows them to reach out, share their voice, and get feedback from admin. Alexis? Yeah, um, I feel like there's a lot of interaction between admin and students at RHL. You can see there's the principal and vice principal as well as other ad members of admin just walking around the school and then attending events such as like theater performances and that sort of thing. But I believe it would be helpful to add an easier outlet for communication, especially for suggestions to be able to provide for the, to the between the students and then just the other admin staff. But there's definitely interaction of talking like two people to one another and asking like, how are you? How's your weekend? And that sort of thing. Good. So feel in terms of care, kind of emotional support, caring support, lots of that. At least as much as can be reasonably expected when the ratio is like 500 to one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on, on interaction between administrators, maybe outside of the uh, emotional care? Yeah. I think also student organizations such as ASB can really help to 
sort of bridge the contact between the two groups because we have things like student council where students are able to come in, tell us about their problems, and then we of course could relay that information. And sending one email with a list of all of our student concerns would be a lot easier for both sides than sending 10 with individual concerns. And it saves time and honestly I think it would be a lot more effective. Mm -hmm. Kind of hit it on no? the head. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Super serious question. Elsa, you ready? Yeah, hopefully. 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 Are you ever ready? Yes. <laughs> In the vein of the first question, is a hot dog a sandwich? Why or why not? Oh, okay. So I'm going to have to go no. No. Because I feel like there's just not enough spread. Why would you put a just a two pieces of bread that are connected. It's connected too. It shouldn't be connected if it's a sandwich. I mean, that's two individual pieces of bread if we're talking a sandwich. And what about a deli roll? A deli roll is often connected, like Subway, is that a sandwich? I would say that's more like a burrito wrap sort of thing. I feel like these are three different categories we're talking about now. I'd like to say that um, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that Subway bread isn't actually bread. It's more like cake because of all the sugar it has. Oh. Yeah, that's very, very possible, I'm Jack. We'll have to offer. cut that out for our sponsor. Right. <laughs> you just cost us thousands. Yikes, oh, I love Subway. Can I offer another compromise? Yeah, yeah. Like, hot dogs are tacos, right? Hot dogs are tacos. Bread tacos. That's how I've always seen them. Do you, do you put hot sauce on your hot dogs? That sounds good. I haven't tried that, though. Okay. All right, we're, uh, let's move on to another section here, another category. We're going to move to the third one, curriculum. And I'm going to jump to the bottom question first, um, if that's okay. Okay. Should schools teach about potentially sensitive or controversial subjects? Should schools teach about potentially sensitive or controversial subjects? If you think they should, how should they go about it? And then how involved should parents and local community members be in that process? Okay, I'm gonna weigh in on this. Um, I believe they should be taught, and I believe they should be taught in an objective manner, not with anyone's opinions in mind, specifically just teaching them what the facts are. So then the students are aware and able to build their own opinions around those facts, rather than only hearing one side or emotion-based weighing ins on those controversial or otherwise topics. So like hot dogs. You know, if we're talking yeah. about whether a hot dog is a sandwich, then, then the, and it would be okay, well, one, one lesson is going to be on, yes, it's a sandwich, another lesson is, no, it's a, it's a taco, another lesson, is that what you're saying? Um, what I'm more saying is, what are the factors that would weigh in to making it one of those three options? And not why it's this, and why it's this, and why it's this. Just teach, okay, these are the things that could make it, these are like, Okay, so there's one piece of bread, but then there's also, they go together, sort of something like that. Um, And I believe that parents should definitely be involved and understand what the children are learning, but I don't necessarily think they should be able to like restrict a lot of it. Certain topics, sure, you need to keep in mind what age you're teaching it to the student. Um, But I don't think just because someone's opinion um, may, they may not like a certain subject, it shouldn't be allowed to be taught to that student. Okay. Now, almost everybody nodded their head when I started to ask the question, so I think almost everyone's got something to say. 
Want to go next? Yeah, before I answer the question, do you think you could like define a couple controversial subjects that might be taught? I could. I don't want us to get bogged down on a specific subject. Okay. Um, what would you say would be, were there examples that came in with the questions that might be, we could use? Are we oh. talking about history and things like slavery? Is okay, let's use that one, yeah. You know, the, the big things that are in the news of the late, you know, we hear a lot about critical race theory, we hear a lot about um, LGBTQ, we hear a lot about uh, sex education. Right. Hear a lot, you know. Those are the those are some of the some of the ones that are in the news. Okay, I think. Um, well, personally, by the time that someone is at an age where those things are going to be taught, they already have like a lot of pre-existing ideologies that sort of right. make up who they are. So, of course, that's going to come with a lot of established um, like opinions already. But I definitely think when it comes to things like history there should be a more holistic approach into teaching it because I feel like a big issue with like society as a whole today, or I guess like what the issues are stemming from is that there are a lot of uneducated individuals or there are a lot of in individuals who have only been taught one side of something. And I feel like that's why we see such a division in our society is because nobody is really getting everything that they need to establish an educated opinion on what they're talking about. So. I think, and um, obviously as the panel has mentioned that, there are some topics that we should refrain from because of like age, but I feel a more holistic approach into teaching those things would help better us as individuals moving forward into society. Okay. Um, I agree, and I think that in order to fully answer the first question of do you think that your school is preparing you well for the real world after high school, you know, a student really has to be educated on potentially sensitive or controversial subjects because in the real world those will always come up, those will always be prevalent. And being taught controversial subjects in school is allowing for students to, you know, kind of get around those subjects in a controlled and like respectful manner mm -hmm. in which they can carry that into their future, you know, real world careers and adult lives. So you know, in everyday classes, you decide consciously whether you agree with or disagree with whatever you're being taught, and that is completely fine, and that's completely accepted by all teachers, all staff members, and all students. So just keeping that approach. Well, let's, I want to come down here, and then we'll come back to Sarah and then Ricardo. I'll, I'll take this one. I do not think these subjects should be taught in schools. I think schools should just stick with, the, like, just math, history. I think I do think certain um, like these topics should be age restricted. Um, we definitely should just leave that to the parents and I think parents need to know everything what their child is being taught. They definitely need to be involved and like every bit of their child's education because I feel like the parent plays a bigger role than the school or at least they should in their child's education. Um, their child lives with them. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, but I don't think these sensitive subjects should be taught. And if students want to um, learn about that, then they should do that with their parents on their own time, but not in schools. Great. Sarah? I think they should be taught in schools. Um, and like I took a course last year where the teacher did cover some stuff. And um, the teacher always made sure to be like, hey guys, we're going to be talking about this um, in a few days from now, if this is something that you don't feel comfortable 
being like a part of this discussion, just let me know. Like you can go to the library. I'll have an alternative assignment for you, you know, just so that way, like it's your decision. You have access to it because if you're curious about something, chances are you're gonna go look it up and it's better to get like the factual information that like where you can form your own opinion on it than like go looking up and like find misinformation or just be like blindsided by one side of something. So that way like you have the opportunity to be educated. And I do think that like parents should get like a heads up like, hey, we're gonna be talking about this in class, you know, just so they're like aware of what's going on, but I don't think they should necessarily be able to say, oh, I don't think my child should be learning that, and neither should any children. If they don't want their child learning it, that can be like a private discussion with their child, and their child won't learn it. But I don't think it's fair to take it away from all the students. Okay, Ricardo? Um, well, I'm currently taking civics slash uh, contemporary world problems, and like a big part of that class is talking about controversial, controversial uh, opinions and stuff like that. Um, I love that class, so I'm obviously gonna say like this is something that we need to discuss. Um, and you know, right now, uh, as of today, we started talking about like the death penalty and like as our thoughts and like the real world. You're gonna have to be thinking about all these controversial subjects no matter what. Um, I think like obviously you have to be sensitive with it um, and like think about who's around you and like about what others think and like not have a bias when teaching about it um, and as for like involvement from parents I think it's important for parents and the student to discuss that with each other and meet each other at, like at least a middle ground because ultimately you want your kid to have a great education and I think that's the whole point of why we go to right. school before I jump to Isabel, did either of you want to say anything? Yeah, I definitely agree. I believe that a parent's view on a potentially controversial or sensitive topic shouldn't necessarily restrict their child's ability to be able to learn on it and then form their own beliefs and ideas off of it. Okay. Isabel? I agree with Sora and Ricardo about how con like learning about these controversial topics is important for preparing you for the real world, but I also see controversial topics as an important part of education in itself. For example, if you've ever taken a biology class, you probably learned about the theory of evolution, which is controversial in opposition to religious beliefs. Or if you in English class, there's a chance you might read a book like The Kite Runner, which is extremely controversial, or even in history. To understand history, you have to understand how it affects you in the present, and a big part of that is through controversy, because history is about is largely about conflicts, whether they be, of course, historical and their modern relations. And I think to not teach controversial subjects would to not teach but to be to not teach at all sorry because there's really controversy in everything as long as people have opinions and that's something that would be extremely difficult to limit and i think there's some like big name controversial subjects and while those can be kind of hit or miss i think as long as they're pre presented educationally and not entirely based on opinion those can be discussed in a respectful manner Jack? Um, I think, uh, before anything, like, I think everyone on the panel has, like, really great points that they've made. Um, I personally would agree with Elsa, but, um, 
Like at the very least, I think it's important to like age restrict a lot of these topics because I know for a fact I wasn't prepared to think about a lot of controversial subjects. Um, like I hardly am now. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost 18. But um, like I think it's really important to be aware of like the developmental stages that kids are going through and like how kids are sponges when they're so young. Like anything you tell them, they'll just absorb and absorb and absorb. So I think it's really important to let parents be the main factor in that. And I mean, if you care enough to have your child know something, you'll teach it to them and you'll teach it to them well. Um, so I think it's, it should be more of a burden on the parents than it should be on the school system. All right, we'll wrap it up with Cassidy. Okay, um, so I like everything that was said here. I agree that it should be age restricted. However, I also think we should keep in mind when age restricting stuff, where else they might be getting this information, and if that information will be misinformation or half-sided mm -hmm. or based in emotion. Right, good point. By the way, great job going on both sides and, and doing a good job expressing it. And we need more of that in our world, right? Where we can talk about different ideas from different points of view and do it kindly and, and courteously. I know, that's exactly job. what I was gonna say. Yeah. How great are these guys? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good tough job. question. So appreciate you answering that. Um, let's, let's move on to another issue that is affecting schools. Let's talk a little bit about school safety. Okay. So thinking about your experiences, just like to know um, how, how safe do you feel in schools? What could schools do better to make students feel safer? And, and just as a, as a side, um, do you remember, do, do we do enough, do we do enough as a district, as a school, to, to, to train our students on some of the more significant safety issues like run, hide, and fight, and all of those? So I'll just leave it open. Go for it. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was a pretty serious threat not that long ago. And um, here at Battleground, uh, we got an email like a couple of days after the threat was made, which was a little shaky in my opinion, how it was that far after the threat was made. And um, by then it had circulated through social media entirely and everyone was scared about it already. Um, but in the email, I remember this and it honestly made me laugh even though I shouldn't have, but we were told that there would be extra security on school. Um, yeah, so we were told that there would be extra security on school and then uh, that we would have a late start, um, which kind of made me giggle a little bit to myself because a late start doesn't really seem like it would solve the issue. But we were promised extra security and um, upon arriving at school the next day, there was uh, no more security than there would be on any other day. And I understand, you know, there's uh, restrictions on things like that, but as a student, you know, when you hear certain things, you start to think certain things, and then um, you're told, okay, the environment's gonna be safe, so then you're putting your trust in another sort of, I don't know, it's hard to put your trust in something when you hear a threat like that. Um, so it was just kind of shaky, in my opinion, to hear that we would be getting like extra security and then not getting the aforementioned extra security, so that was something to me. And then my first uh, code, Silver, I think it is. Um, fifth, fifth grade is that when is that when they usually start? I think that's probably about right. It's been five, six, seven years. Um, I remember that we in my class had established that we would all run to my house, which is a little funny story because I live right down the street. Um, but it was just 
kind of a scary thought to be like embedded in the mind of a fifth grader, uh, personally, in my opinion. And I know that there's only so much that the people in the room can, can, can control, but it's just kind of like appalling that it's something that even has to be like brought up. But I know like obviously that's a whole another issue, but it's right. just. Well, how many of you remember your first drill? I was just thinking in terms when yeah, talking with, in terms of when we when we implemented started implementing code silver, it was probably you know seven or eight years ago. You know, it used to be an entirely different response. You know, it used to you used to just hunker down in your room and just stay there, and that was the that was the direction. And then several years after another school shooting, you know, how many that there have been, they decided that you know. If you can run, you should run. And if you're in a situation where you can't run and somebody comes in, you should try to hide. And if you can't hide, then your last resort is to fight. So that's when we changed it. And I think it was probably when you were, you know, right around there. Yep, go ahead, Sarah. Um, as for like the first part of the question about like how safe I feel at school, I feel like it's not like a day-to-day -day thought that I have, but definitely like when there's a big school shooting in the news, like that first like three days back, it is like a, oh, like are we safe here? If it can happen in the middle of nowhere in some other state, it can probably happen here. But I feel like whenever we like first come to school after like a break, when we have like those presentations about like what is Code Silver? How do we do Code Silver? A majority of the teachers that I have really get into it and they're like so if we ever have a lockdown in my class this is how we're gonna react you know like we're gonna barricade the door with these desks I have the textbooks right here if somebody comes through the door you're gonna be throwing these textbooks so I feel like a lot of the teachers do a really good job of like trying to prepare you for like if the worst was to happen how you would respond I think the biggest issue with safety that I've noticed is miscommunication. For example, I believe it was last school year, there was a threat of a student on Prairie's campus and the information was let out to the teachers as school was in session. And one of my friends had a substitute teacher and the substitute, based on the information she received, told the class that there was an active shooter on campus when there was not. And that, of course, caused a lot of fear and just anxiety for the classroom as you would expect and I know even another time last school year there was a threat that was released on social media I don't remember the exact specifics of it but it ended up as like majority of students did not go to school that day because there was no information let out about it until days later so they didn't know whether the threat was genuine they just heard word of it and decided better not risk it. So I think sure I think having quick and accurate communication with students directly is one of the most important parts of it because a lot of times students just don't know what's going on and don't want to take the risk of going to school when they know that they could go to school and just not come home. I feel like with we've never had an active threat at RHL I don't think, but the way that you can never really prepare a student for code silver because you can't simulate what that would actually feel like without having an active threat in the building at that time. 
And then also the way that code silvers are run, at least at RHL, is you only practice the hide because you can't necessarily safely simulate the running or the fighting, which would, which it doesn't give it a feeling of any realness and it doesn't necessarily prepare you for a real code silver drill because in the code silver drill, it states where the active shooter is supposed to be and then you would either then decide if you were supposed to run or if you hide or if you would fight. But you, throughout the entire building, you would just, you, you do the hiding. Whereas in the case that I had, the most recent Code Silver drill that I remember, it would, the active shooter would have been far enough away to run out the back gate, but we only simulated the hiding. So it didn't necessarily give it a feeling of any realness or what would actually happen in the situation if there was an active shooter on campus. Um, I think at CAM, we're a pretty small school. Like We are just right next door from Battleground. Pretty small building, to be honest. We don't have that many doors. so. Whenever I think we had one just a week ago, um, but it was in the gym, I think. And so then based on where the different classrooms were, some teachers went out and some teachers chose to hide. My class, we just hid. But um, my teacher, he just explained to us, he's like, okay, if this is where it was, we would run. And then he's like, you can run here or here or here. And we're going to barricade the doors with desks. We have throw your Chromebooks, throw your water bottles, throw whatever you got at them. But I, we feel very safe at CAM, and I don't think we've ever had like a threat like uh, at Prairie or Battleground, thankfully. Sorry, that's my fault. The only, the only threat I remember was, um, I think there was a threat at Battleground and we locked down for that, but that was the only experience I've ever had with an actual lockdown, and I, I felt pretty safe even then. I mean, we were removed from it, but I felt felt pretty good about where I was, I think. And then, um, like Cam, I feel like River Homelink is also a smaller school, and it feels really safe there. And every experience I've had with a code silver drill, the teacher's been very relaxed about it and hasn't been tense or anything, which gives it, like, they're still teaching about it, but they're not making the students stressed about it or in any way that I've noticed, which is a really good way to present it, where they're presenting the information but not worrying the students about it. Um, I think that, you know, we have many just mandated drills that we must have, like fire drills, earthquake drills, et cetera. But as um, Sarah said, our teachers do a really good job at really clarifying, you know, the extremeness of what the events really are and especially as school shootings unfortunately begin begin to keep becoming more normalized in society my fear is just that the code silver drills will begin to look more like you know fire drills and earthquake drills in that they're just routine in that they're just you know normalized and i think just making sure that teachers keep approaching code silver drills in the way that they do right now, in which they're very meticulous, very specific about the true, true dangers of mm -hmm. code silvers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Last? 
I also think that having the doors locked between passing periods has made me feel a lot safer, particularly because Prairie is a California design school, meaning all of our doors are facing outwards. Someone could just walk off the street and walk into a classroom, which did happen last school year. And I think having the doors locked just makes it feel like a lot more of a closed, safer environment because you can ensure like the stability of the classroom. You know who's in there, you know who can be in there, and you like have a choice to let people in instead of just them coming out on their own. Why are so many buildings here designed by California? That, that has never made any sense to me. Well, because it was the, the buildings that we're talking about were built in 1970. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Why, why pick it was that a, like It was weather more like California? Yeah. Yeah. I see your point. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but they, they, they did their older buildings and they just didn't, you know, they just thought, hey, it'll be great. We'll have students outside. Now we have it's cheaper, obviously, to right. build a flat to, roof, and to build a flat roof, and to build um, without ho internal hallways. We had and safety wasn't what it is now. Right. We had a building I worked in, and they built it in Mint Valley up in Longview, and it's a bog up there. If you're not familiar with it, really high water table, and they put it was a concrete slab, and they put all the heating in the floor in the bog. So in the wintertime, when you turn the heat on, it would just literally fog up the whole building. The humidity would jump up to about 95%. I'm thinking, this was a really smart idea. We really thought this through. Great, great use of money. All right, question. I just want you to know I was uh, 15 at the time that they built per. Oh, okay, so you can't be blamed for it. It's not your fault. <laughs> All right, we're gonna jump down to identity and representation. Do you feel there is representation and resources for all the different cultures in your school? Is there a representation? Are there resources for all the different cultures that you know make up your school? I feel like um, I feel like it's like a yes and no. Um, although our school does have like a BIPOC club and an LSU, which is uh, Latino Students United, um, I feel like there's always improvements that are to be made. Um, I feel like this is like an issue that's like never really gonna stop. Uh, I know. For me, and it kind of delves into the other question on here about staff and students, um, I've never felt like I couldn't be myself in front of a staff. However, that same logic doesn't apply to students all the time. Um, you know, I've gotten comments about my, my race, and then obviously it's not going to be the nicest comments. Uh, sometimes it's like blatant racism but you know uh it's something that i've always had to deal with my entire life um you know seeing kids talk about like not only am i mexican but i'm also jewish so like i also see like a bunch of hate symbols sometimes like walking around school um and i don't feel like students completely understand the effects that it could have on kids like me right. i'm sorry about that that's not right. It shouldn't be happening. Unfortunately, we live in an imperfect world, and people make really stupid choices, and oftentimes don't think before they do things, and has big consequences, and they don't even realize it. So I'm sorry about that. Others? Okay. So as far as I know, I don't think our school has any like specific like culture groups or anything, but I don't think it's necessary at our school specifically. Because our school is a very safe environment. I haven't w personally witnessed any bullying whatsoever. 
Um, and I think that's also from the fact that our school incorporates parents into the learning because it's part homeschool, part go to school type of school, which prevent, um, deters bullying because there's like always parents on campus walking around. And as well as the fact that it's a kindergarten through um, high school. So there's always gonna be like little kids walking around. And I think all of the students are more aware of that and then will in turn act accordingly. Um, I think geographically, we're obviously a majority white population, and that's clear to everyone. But um, in recent years, obviously, that has slightly shifted. And so it falls you know, on us to be the ones to create that change and start creating those clubs. And I know that our Latinx club at Battleground was created recently. Like Everything that is for cultural representation has been created recently. And you know, we've wanted feedback as well to continue to do that and continue to respect other cultures as, you know, even ASB members who are majority white. I know that me being half Japanese, I'm one of the most diverse people in our class. So obviously it's something that we're working on and something that we hope to continue to work on for sure as, you know, But you are seeing improvement, you think? I think so, yeah. We, obviously it's, it's hard and it's, a long path to go down, right. and it'll never be fully. Yeah, oh, it's never not, arrive yeah. there anywhere. Any culture, any society will never arrive at some kind of perfect state of that. But are we making progress? I yeah. hope so. I hope to say that that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think at um, Cam, we're just we're one big community. We're all friends. We all respect each other a whole bunch. We all drive each other to, like achieve our best academically outside of the classroom too like we're always like hanging out with friends what'd you do over the weekend oh you hang out you hung out with like half the class like great okay um but we're i can we're just academically driven we're just we're all friends there it's just no problem we don't really talk about that because no one makes a big deal about it no one's bullying no one gets harassed we're, it's just a calm school Sorry. Um, I think, unfortunately, though, even though things are changing for the better in terms of cultural representation and stuff like that, there are still instances of racism. There are still instances of even microaggressions by students and sometimes unintentionally by teachers as well. And as our population does continue to increase and incorporate more cultures, more races, et cetera, more ethnicities, um, our knowledge and although it might sometimes tiptoe into the sensitive and controversial subject region, just educating our students and ourselves on how to approach subjects and topics in ways that don't tread on um, aggressive behavior. I don't know how to put it, but... I think we understand what you're yeah. saying. So speaking of controversial topics, what is the best kind of cheese? <laughs> And why? I should I, I should ex see some passion, some fervor, maybe even a little bit of red face, anger in this question. You know, so Isabel, looks like you're ready to go. I'd like to make the argument for cheddar because it's so diverse in how it can be used, and because it's a staple of cheeseburgers, which are 
one of the biggest like sources of American pride. That's like American food. Oh, that That's true. what we eat here. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> the cheeseburger is the American food, right? It's the best that it gets. Is that true? Do you think? No? Anyone agree? I like cheeseburgers. I like bacon cheeseburgers. You can tell that by the way. Look, Ricardo. As someone who can't have a cheeseburger or bacon oh. cheeseburger, um, can you have because cheese? of kosher, um, I can have cheese. Okay. So I'm going to go with mozzarella because, Ooh, or choice. actually, no, I take that back. Uh, Cream cheese, so good, <laughs> so underrated. Cream cheese is a cheese. Is it cheese? Do we think it's cheese? Is it cheese? It's a soft cheese. You know, it goes, it goes well with bagels. It goes well with bread. It goes well with crackers. I don't know. It's just so good. It's also a diverse cheese. So we've got a runner-up. We had another opinion down here, Sarah. I do have to say, Ricardo, you almost switched my mind there for the slightest second. Cream cheese is good. Um, but I have to say mozzarella cheese, just because it sounds really fancy and it's yummy. Um, but I also have an opinion on the worst cheese, which has got to be Swiss, because why is there holes in the cheese? Oh, cheese should stirred some emotion there. It shouldn't have holes. Like, why are they there? There's no need for them to be there. Why are they? You want to respond? I, I saw that. respond. Um, I think Swiss cheese is the best because it's really silly and it has holes in it and it's shiny and it just kind of looks funny and also I think it tastes the best. All right, Jackson, Isabel. Okay, I mean Swiss cheese, like it's not the greatest cheese of all kind, but it's holy cheese. Don't disrespect the holy cheese. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. I would like to further my argument for cheddar based on the diversity because there's also diversity in the cheese itself because you have smoked cheddar, you have sharp cheddar, you have more types of cheddar, but those are the only two I know right now. But smoked <laughs> cheddar is really good. So. All right, let's move on to our next question. You got it? Um, I think what we want to do, because we only have, we only have 20 minutes left, and, I, and we have a couple of questions that we want to close with, but I thought it would be good to open it up. So does anybody anybody have a question that they want to ask? Yeah, let's go over here. Okay, well, I'll narrow it down. There you go. <laughs> you guys have been great. I'm so, I'm so blown away by um, all of you. I'm like, so impressed. I met myself in high school. These kids are so much more well-rounded <laughs> and mature than I ever could have been. Um, but just for you, actually, on the security. So the day that you were talking about when felt like there wasn't follow-through. I'm assuming, I'm hoping that there was, this wasn't visible to the students. And maybe there was more security that day, but it wasn't visible. But there's a problem there, because the extra security is, you feel more secure. Um, so that's a big breakdown. And I think that um, that was kind of a theme for everyone, the communication for the schools that um, experienced this. It sounds too like there's this huge divide between River, River Homeland in Canada, those schools, and then our, our big high schools. It's there, it's, the culture differences are just really huge. Um, so my question is, how would you feel about having more security at school? Do you feel that's oppressive and to your learning environment? Or at this point, does that feel more secure? Does that make you feel better? I personally feel like having more security on school, especially somewhere where it's visible, um, would make me feel a lot better and I know it would make my peers feel a lot better. Also just general things like, um, in my opinion, I mean, I feel like anybody could waltz in here with a backpack, anyone off the street, 
could just come in here as long as they're wearing a backpack or they have a blazer on in a briefcase they could just walk right in here and um, that's just kind of something that's a little upsetting to me and as a student I feel like we're just told certain things uh, to make us feel better but then there's no follow-through like I remember um, I do the daily announcements and so I like get to read all these things that some students might not listen to but uh, <laughs> there was something about like security guards checking student IDs in the hallways and this was when the door locking during the passing periods had began and um, I was like oh that's actually really cool because that made me feel li a little bit better about you know how pe anybody could just come in here but then um, I didn't see any of that and I mean we have four five security guards and two SROs and uh, I maybe just a little less walking around and maybe a little more of like, who are you? You know, I would just feel a little bit better personally. Ricardo? Um, over at Prairie, I feel like, well, one, I wish that we had an SRO because uh, I feel like that would be a great uh, thing for safety. I know it's like an issue that we've talked about at board meetings um, and like just having an SRO be available it's kind of hard as it is. Um, but also at the same time, at my school, um, we we really like our security um, officers. So it's like a lot of students have that interaction with them. Um, we love them so much that we literally had a spirit day for one of them. Nice. So, that. yeah, that's good. That's good. I did dress up. I got jorts. <laughs> nice. Anybody else have thoughts on how would you feel about having more security in the school? Um, right now, our school doesn't have a whole lot of security, but as a smaller school with a lot of parents around, it's not really necessary to add more security to our school, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think that it might be beneficial to the larger high schools, as they were talking about, but coming from River Homelink, I don't think River Homelink would need more. That's a good point because you do you have a lot of parents, you have a lot more adults, a lot more volunteers on campus. That's going to help. And obviously, that also goes along with like the shape of their school because again, right. with the California style schools, we have so many doors. It's just it's crazy how many doors we have. But recently, we have been locking them um, as we've obviously spoken about. But the thing is, the culture at our school is this is just that like if you see someone waiting outside of a door you're gonna open the door because right. like they're late to class they need to get to class you're gonna open it so kind of just communicating the reason that that can't be happening is important mm -hmm. because especially coming from admin just hearing on the announcements every day because you know as Austin said some people just kind of don't listen and you know me too but Hearing like, <laughs> sorry, wow, I'm sorry. Was... Oh my gosh, Austin, I didn't mean it. But hearing um, like, don't open the doors to a student is obviously so obvious that you kind of brush it by. So just breaking it down and being honest and being clear as to the reason behind that argument and as to the reason behind, oh my gosh, my voice, behind a lot of the things that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is very important because, you know, like obviously you don't want to turn someone around at the door, but mm -hmm. In today's society, sometimes that is just necessary and something that we need to do. So, to jump back to our earlier question about preparing you for the real world, this is this is what it's like being a leader. You talk and no one listens. <laughs> so, so you're getting a lot of preparation. What other doing that? Another, other questions? Yeah. Um, back to the issue of the security guards. Um, I do you feel like now? What what I heard about 
high school shooting, and they're done usually by someone from within. Where do you think is a solution to preventing that from happening? Yeah, Isabel. I think students reporting sp like suspicious behaviors within other students is important for that because they're the ones who are going to notice. And I know that can seem sort of bad saying it up front because you don't want to report someone and be wrong, but it's better than to not report them and be right, if that makes any sense. And I think noticing suspicious behaviors like word of mouth like hearing, oh, this student has a weapon in their bag. That's obviously something you would want to report. And while that isn't something I have experienced, I would want to know what to do in that situation. And I think providing resources for students to just, like, honestly, just voice if there's anything even slightly off. Because it's like the little things that can, like, reveal a big, I'm not really sure how to phrase it, but. Let's jump down to Sarah, then we'll come back to Ricardo. Um, something that I literally just remembered is right after school got out, I went home, um, freshened up, and then I came back here. And in like the 20 minute span that I was home, my mom got an email for my younger brother. Um, he's a seventh grader at Tukes Valley Middle School. And she was like, oh, um, there was like a threat that somebody was gonna have a weapon on campus. And my brother was like, oh, so there's gonna be like no school tomorrow, right? Like we're taking every precaution to make sure. And my mom's like, no you guys still have school tomorrow and stuff like that. So I think like just the mindset of like expecting that like there's gonna be precautions in place, kind of like what Austin was saying earlier about like, oh, like I just totally lost my train of thought. Anyways, <laughs> um, but also that like just trying to encourage kids that like if there's something that looks off, you need to say something because imagine you thought there was a threat, you didn't say anything and then something happened. Just trying to get like that mindset of like, see something, say something. Because it's better to be wrong than like be right and not say something. Because at the very least, I'm sure that if they were to go after a threat and have it not be real, then they're not gonna go like tackle the kid in the hallway and then like handcuff them and throw them in a cop car. They're gonna do it in a way that's not gonna be awful. Ricardo. Um, I just like to bring attention to the fact that we uh, as a district have, I think it's called Safe Schools, I believe, getting head nods, um, where students can anonymously, um, or parents, or literally anyone can anonymous, anonymously um, send in a, like a safety concern. concern. There we go, thank you. Um, a safety concern, so I'm just gonna put that out there, yeah. that we students and community members have that resource for us. Isabel? I'd like to say I believe this is my first time hearing of that and I doubt that many students would know about that so I think like really making sure that students know that's something that exists and parents as well would be extremely important moving forward. Alexis? I think also especially in larger schools like Prairie as well is like having more security just on campus as a deterrence to someone who would be more likely to do it if there was no security at all. Got another question okay. back here. Terry had one too. Oh, yeah. We'll go we'll go here and then we'll go okay. there. Thank you. If your school had an abundance of money, 
what is one thing your school could really, really use and that would have positively impacted your education? Good question. Oh. Jack? A stable building. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on that, Jack. <laughs> you won't see it, sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you paid the price so that others can, right? Yeah. Isabel? Better cafeteria food, speaking from someone that got food poisoning from our school food. Um, it'd make my day a lot better if I could just go to the lunchroom and not worry about feeling sick the rest of the day. I would say adequate resources, just for like things in general and stuff, because like I'm an ASB and I'm the business manager for ASB, so it's my responsibility to be ordering things like for our workroom, supplies that we use for stuff all the time. Um, we're also in the process of planning prom and stuff, and it just constantly comes down to like, is this absolutely vital that we get this? Like, can we live without it? Using stuff that we've had for like 10 years for dances and stuff, just because it's like, do we have the money to be spending on this? Or can we get by another year or two with what we have? You know, just trying to constantly be saving money. And I feel like it really does, like you can notice when you've been using a roller that's been like duct taped together. <laughs> Anyone else? Definitely for like extracurricular activities to be able to create new ones as well as help fund old ones such as like, um, giving our school more PE programs because we only have one type of PE program. And then also tying back to the first question, getting more electives like the independent living classes like that to be able to prepare more for the future beyond high school to just have those other elective options. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, as far as extracurriculars, we don't have a lot. Um, it, like I think we have two, maybe three. Um, but just funding for extracurriculars and um, lost my train of thought. Yeah, that's the main thing. Just okay. like funding for extracurriculars and our junior senior class is combined right now. Um, and that impacted me um, because I had to take AP Lit before I could take AP Lang. And they teach how to write in AP Lang, but you need to know how to write in AP Lit. <laughs> so that, that test AP was. Lang? AP language and composition and oh, okay. then AP literature. Sorry, I'm <laughs> just abbreviating. Um, but that would have been like, that would have made a significant difference in my experience okay. if I could have taken language before I took literature, so. Ms. I think with like unlimited funding, I would say more teachers, more classrooms, because a lot of our classes have 30 plus students. And of course, with one teacher to that many students, especially in classes with more advanced curriculums, students are going to fall behind because they're not going to be able to have the time to get the help they need. And teachers are going to fall behind because they don't have the time to enter grades for what five classes a day, 35 students each. It just doesn't equal out and it doesn't make sense. And I think that really can hold students back, it can hold teachers back, and it makes a really stressful environment. Yeah, I think definitely going along with that, the um, resources to run classes with less people in them. Because I know last year I was really looking forward to hopefully taking AP Chem, couldn't happen. Like any AP Science at Battleground this year just couldn't run because of the lack of students that were able to sign up and we even like made a list of all the students that could possibly sign up we were asking people we were like please like take AP chem or any AP science and like it just couldn't get up to that 
mark, that number of students that we needed to get to, that threshold. And, you know, especially for those high achieving students who are attempting to just pad their um, resumes with those rigorous courses, it's just, it's really hard to do that without the resources to do so. And independent study is obviously an option, but it's not an option that should have to be mm -hmm. fallen back on because it's it's hard. Like I I can't learn AP Chem on my own, unfortunately. I'm not that smart. Let's quickly jump to Ricardo and we'll finish with Sarah. Uh, I completely agree with uh, Sora. Um, last year uh, we had uh, AP, or we had the option to take, um, or we were supposed to have the option to take uh, AP Music Theory. And I know that we couldn't because we didn't have enough people, so we instead we did Guitar Lab and then they shoved like a bunch of new kids in that class because they didn't have any forecasting stuff. Um, but now we do have AP Music Theory, so I'm very happy to be in that class. Cool. But, um, but now I'm hearing about these classes that have less students in them than they would have if we had AP Music Theory last year, mm -hmm. so it made me really sad. Yeah. Sarah? Just to add a little bit to my previous answer to this question and resources, but like having a closet dedicated to like low income students who maybe they like need sanitary products or they need like hygiene or they don't have a bag that doesn't have like almost falling apart stuff to it. I don't know if we currently have one, but I know like in middle school I had a teacher who like went out of their way to organize with all the other teachers to have like a food pantry for kids and to like have like an anonymous, well it wasn't anonymous, you know, but like a private little form. Like if you need a new pair of shoes or something, then you can go there and the teachers will work together to do stuff. I think with unlimited funding, just making sure that like all of our students are taken care of. They know that they have access to have food on the dinner table. They don't have to wear shoes that they duct tape together and everything. Okay, really quickly. Sorry, I know that we were just speaking a lot about like the high cap side of the classes that we wished that we had, but um, also for special education, like Sarah is involved with Unified Sports, and like their uniforms, their jerseys are old. Okay. Just providing more resources for the special ed programs because mm -hmm. they don't nearly as often get advocated for, mm -hmm. which was obvious there right. <laughs> while we were speaking. Yeah. So just Terry. I just have a comment. I would like to draft all of you to be part of a town hall when we get ready to run another levy because you are a fantastic group of young adults. You really are. I'm very impressed with what you've done today. So I'm going to be getting all your names and when you graduate, we're going to get you on the committee. Is there a question back here? How has that affected your education? And do you feel like you turned, has there been a corner turn where it's kind of back to what you would perceive as normal? Um, I can start with this. So our school was used to doing a lot of stuff at home with parents helping. So there was, as far as I saw, there wasn't like a huge like dip in our actual like learning. I feel like we have come back to a sense of normal from like the COVID restrictions and stuff, but in general, I don't think much of our education was damaged by the lockdown or anything associated with that. Let's go, let's see Isabel, then Ricardo, and we'll jump down to Sarah. 
I think that I missed a really big transitional period because my freshman year was entirely online. So I didn't get that same social bridge between middle school and high school, especially because I went from daybreak to prairie. So I knew about five, maybe 10 people in between those schools. So my freshman year back was extremely anxiety inducing. And I think that really played a large negative effect on my education. And of course, missing that freshman year transitional period of going from my eighth grade really easy classes where I didn't have to do any homework and the curriculum just kind of clicked to high school where I was taking a lot more difficult classes, taking my first AP classes, and I never got a sort of build up to it, I suppose. It was just, I felt like I was, like there was missing something and then I had to take my entire sophomore year to sort of circle back on it, if that makes any sense. Okay, Ricardo? Um, well, when COVID happened, I, it was middle of, or towards the end, endish middle <laughs> of my freshman year. And um, luckily I had the experience of like getting to know a bunch of like upperclassmen and, you know, people who I could like see myself talking to and growing connections with uh, throughout until like right now when I'm about to graduate. Um, however, I think COVID definitely played an effect of that feeling of growing up emotionally and mentally as everyone does in high school. So that's an answer, that's yeah. the answer. <laughs> Sarah? Um, so COVID happened halfway through my eighth grade year and I don't remember like a single thing like post March 13th going home just because from that point on schooling became completely optional for the rest of that school year. So um, I do have to admit, I didn't do too much for those classes that I knew I was gonna need, like math. I did try to do my best, but I know a lot of my peers just completely slacked off. So like all of what you learned in eighth grade just went down the toilet. And then freshman year with it being online, I think it was really hard to be able to hold students accountable. And so, so I feel like we missed like two full years of schooling. So it's really hard going in being like, oh, well, like, I don't know this and stuff. I do have to say one positive thing is I know um, my math teacher said that coming back from COVID, students have been allowed to use three by five cards on their math test, which was not something previously allowed. So I do have to thank COVID for that. <laughs> Let's do uh, really quickly, Sora and Alex, or Austin, sorry, not Alex. <laughs> Um, I think adding on to that, um, the optionality of a lot of schooling has become really prevalent and behaviorally as well. Like being in class physically has just not seemed as important as it was before COVID. Even for me personally, I'm sitting in a class and a teacher is talking and I am just openly on my phone. And in my mind, that seems okay to me when obviously it's not. And I think being behind a screen and having not that face-to-face -face communication, but that just listening but not being entirely present thing has become just something that we're all accustomed to and teachers not as much. So there's that kind of wall that's being built as well where teachers are feeling that they're not being respected but students are not understanding why they're feeling it that way because of, you know, that divide that was created because of, you know, the Zoom time. Right. So, yeah. Good, good observation. Austin, let's wrap it up with you. Um, I remember my sophomore year, I was taking chemistry during the whole COVID thing when it was strictly online. And 
I'm looking at what I learned from that in comparison to like what Sora was doing last year. And I can just say that like the bar was on the floor my <laughs> sophomore year. I learned, if I could put it into a percentage, probably 60% of what the chemistry students are learning now. And um, like another example, like I remember my AP world history test my sophomore year, I passed it. But then I think about the things I was writing and it's just another example of the bar being on the floor. And so like I'm going to college next year and I uh, plan on majoring in biochemistry. So I'm thinking about these things and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like there, there could have been like more opportunities for us to finish what we left off on. I don't want to say what we left off on, but what we just didn't learn. Let's give them all a hand. One thing you couldn't hear on this episode of the podcast is just how impressed the members of the committee were with these students. Many members came up and expressed not only how impressed they were by the conversation, but the hope that they had for our schools and community based on the caliber of the students that night. And didn't they set a great example for us that we can disagree about key issues and still treat one another with dignity and respect? Great job, students. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to cover on the podcast, you can send an email to info at bgcast.org. We'll do our best to not only cover topics that matter to the district, but also those that matter to us as members of the Battleground community. The BG Cast is produced in cooperation with the Battleground Public School District, but it is a community-produced podcast. The BG Cast is a production of 6-8 Media in partnership with Battleground Public Schools. 6-8 Media. 